0: Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is. Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're a personal astrophysicist. And this is a Cosmic Queries edition on the birth, life, and death of stars. Ooh. Didn't knew we know, know all about them, did you? And who do I have as my co host today, Nagin Farsad? Nagin, welcome back to Star Talk.
1: Oh. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited about today's topic. I don't understand any of it. Well,
0: you're in the right place at the right time. And you, you're you a comedian and you're a host of Fake the Nation, which I was recently a guest on. I was delighted. Oh, Thanks for having you me. You are so
1: great. Uh, people should listen to that episode.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And you're also author of the book, how to Make White People Laugh. Now, I laugh just reading that title. Is that allowed?
1: <laughs> and that's, the entire book is just the title. That's it. And there's no, it's actually just a notebook where you can write your I, own thoughts. I don't know if, the, if the,
0: like, the laugh police, no, you're not white, you can't laugh at that. You know, That's the thing. <laughs> so while I, as an astrophysicist, have some background in the birth, life, and death of stars, it does not compare to who we brought in as a special guest, a friend and colleague, Jackie Faraday. Jackie, welcome.
2: Hi, everybody.
0: All right, all right. Jackie, like, lives in the lives of stars, and she knows where they're coming, where they're going, where they've been. And I finally got your full title here, Jackie, Senior Scientist and Senior Education Manager at the American Museum of Natural History. And you're also part of our Department of Astrophysics as an associate there. And you're also an astronomy professor for outlier.org. So what is that?
2: Yeah. Outlier.org is this company that was started by the co-founders of Masterclass. Oh, okay. And they, yeah, which you you did a Masterclass, I did a Masterclass,
0: yeah, yeah. But they're good people. All good people. Yeah.
2: So you know that they put like, they put production value Mm -hmm. as very important in the course creation, but they also like, they don't skim on content. So they contacted me and a couple other astronomers to put together an introduction to astronomy class that would um, bring all the things that you need to know about the universe at the 101 level. Yeah, Astro
0: 101. Excellent. Excellent.
2: Yeah. Critical to this, though, is that they came to the Hayden Planetarium before they even talked to me about this because they loved our visualization
0: Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And, 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 so and you have access to data that helps inform so many of our visualizations in the shows that we produce. So you're you're like a key cog in that turning wheel of bringing the universe down to earth. That's <laughs> <nice> <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. So Jackie, let me just lead <laughs> off with a question for you, just to get so we're all on the same page. And Nagine, since she doesn't know anything, we got to make sure she joins the page that you and I are on. All right. Uh, if stars lived millions and billions of years. And we look up at the night sky and just get a snapshot of them. What right do you have to possibly claim that you know how they're born?
2: Yeah, it's uh it's pretty offensive that we we <laughs> decide we know how they're born, right? That's that's just <laughs> audacious.
0: That's yeah. like taking a snapshot of Nagine and saying, Nagine, we know when and where you were born and when you're gonna die and where you're gonna die, and <laughs> but you just have a snapshot of her yeah, in this
1: one it's moment. Also, it's like the worst retroactive gender reveal party. <laughs>
2: Well, right. so, So the thing with stars, which I think is, it's really fascinating is sometimes we project human emotion onto them. So we talk about the life of stars as if they live somehow and that they die and that this is sad, but there's really no life or death. It's just sort of morphing from one kind of thing into another. And this is what stars do. And when we look up at the nighttime sky, We look for signatures in the vast numbers that we now know are out there that tell us that this one is recently in the stellar form that we see it. Or this one's heading out of looking like the stars as we know and love them. And it's going to start to look like something a little bit different. So it... I, we do know a lot. We also know very little, but we do know a lot. About-
1: <laughs> That's a disclaimer.
0: I yeah. love, we know so much, but really we don't know much at all. But we know so much.
1: Um, you're, this makes you sound a little bit like a lawyer and,
2: uh, <laughs> and not a scientist yeah, well, when you I, say stuff you like know, that. If- You have to put a clause on everything because you can't have people thinking that we know everything that there is because then there'd be no reason for us to continually like say they're so mysterious, the, the cosmos are so mysterious. And Vera Rubin, actually, I think she famously said something like, we're like kindergartners right now, humans that are looking up into the sky and trying to figure stuff out. No one should say we're advanced when it comes to like everything that we know and understand. There's so much to know and understand and learn. But we do know quite a bit about stars.
0: Well, you can't just blow by Vera Rubin without a little bit of bio. So she, she was one of our more senior members of our community, died a few years, a couple of years ago, and she discovered dark matter in galaxies. So that sort of brought dark matter home in a way that it was like, "Whoa! This stuff is not just exotic at the edges of the universe; it's in our face," and and we just named a telescope after her, Jackie. Right? The um Right, yep. The, the, the large synoptic survey telescope, which no one wanted to pronounce, and we said it's time to just fix that up. And so now it's the Vera Rubin telescope, she's one of our uh, heroes in our field. So go Absolutely. on, yeah, 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 mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And I actually overlapped with Vera when I was a postdoctoral fellow, the phase you get to when you have a PhD and you're in between like faculty or whatever next stage you get into. And I was at the Carnegie Institution for Science in Washington, D.C., and that's where Vera did a significant amount of her career. And she was a huge advocate for women in science. I mean, massive advocate for women in science. So she was, it was amazing to be in the same department that she was in.
1: By the way, Jackie, who among us hasn't been at the Carnegie Institute for Science as a postdoctorate fellow? I'm just, you know, (laughs) talking to the choir here. That's just a thing. It's just a
0: thing. (laughs) Although, Nagin, did I hear Jackie say (laughs) that being a postdoc is what you are before you have your faculties? Is that what she <laughs> what you said? Did I say that? I Did thought you, you said faculty. before you
1: have yeah. you touch and, and feel you, you before you have out. your faculties. Your faculties <laughs> are still being home. Uh,
0: so that, so that's great. So uh, we solic- we solicited questions from our Patreon members. I, so apparently the, the, we're playing hardball now. You want to get a question done uh, in on this? You got to sort of get in the in the Patreon circle. So, uh, Nagin, you collected them. I haven't seen them before. I think Jackie knows the topic, but I don't know that she's seen them either. So, we're hitting at, at this cold. So, let's do it.
1: Okay. You guys are um, up for some treats here. Um, from Cameron Bishop, we have this question. My cosmic query is about life after the death of stars. Specifically for any planets unfortunate enough to be in orbit, how are their orbits affected? And could Ooh, life love prepare- that. He's worried about the family. Signs.
2: Yeah. He's worried about the family. So true. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, um, the idea that you could exist around a star that once was. And I actually think about this question a lot nowadays it, for a number of reasons. Uh, but we are finding planets around. Dead stars around, see, there I go again. I just said that we always project these emotions on stars, but stars that have morphed into their new counterparts, so white dwarfs, these end products of stars like our sun, or neutron stars, which are higher mass than our sun would be. Uh, And you can find worlds around these things, like planets that have either survived, they've survived whatever this thing was that was like to have your star basically lose its ability to be a nice core hydrogen burning thing that provides you nice sunshine and light. And it fades into this other other phase. So So planets can survive this. So we should talk about our own solar system because we have eight worlds Planets that we call in our solar system. Pluto's out there as a, a, a dwarf planet. Neil, I know that's your favorite um, topic.
0: I'm, I, I, you know, I, I'm biting my tongue.
2: I know, I see you are. <laughs> I can see you obviously biting your tongue. Right. So a lot I did of say restraint.
0: Eight. A lot of restraint. Thank you for noticing, game. I was I was. Restra- <laughs> okay.
2: I noticed that, uh, but mm-hmm. so you know, when our sun starts to lose its hydrogen and 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 uh, burn out. Uh, it's gonna expand and it's gonna absorb the inner solar system. Mercury, Venus, Earth probably, and maybe out to Mars is gonna get engulfed in the sun.
1: This sounds like a spin-off series to the biggest loser. Like a really <laughs> galaxy-wide
2: spin-off series. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so you, you could feel well, so what do you
0: say. Wait, wait, wait. So, Jackie, what you're saying is in death or in its transition to not fusing hydrogen in the core, uh, it will eat its children. That's what you're saying.
2: You could say it like that. I think that... As long
0: as we're going to anthropomorphize, it it dies, and right while it's dying, it eats and vaporizes
2: its children. Yep, yep. And there is evidence, at least some observational evidence, that this does happen, that planets do get gobbled up during this process. There's objects that we look at, the white dwarfs that we are, white dwarfs is these evolved states of stars like our sun after they've run out of their hydrogen. Um, they, we found, they've got signatures of basically pulling in the last of this material that might've come from a rocky world like the earth. And so we do see signatures of that planet on the white dwarf. It's a really cool new thing. In what?
0: You're saying it's, it's like it, you, you, you're saying it's like, it. you're saying it's like, it's got food on its lips that it didn't wipe away. Nice. <laughs> it still has evidence of eating, <laughs> of eating the planet still in its mouth.
2: Nice. Yes. Yes. It's
1: like it a is. lot like my toddler.
0: <laughs> all day long. <laughs> you know exactly what they they've been eating all day. <laughs> the ice cream drip, the, thing, the, the the candy cane. Right. All right.
1: By the way, I just want to point out, are we uh, are we allowed to say white dwarfs? I just want to make sure we don't get canceled oh. here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I we're the black that. dwarf.
2: I think wanted... <laughs> we can say that. You think we can say
0: that? All right. Yeah. All right.
2: Yeah. But white dwarfs. So planets around stars that have evolved is a thing. I don't think you want to live around it necessarily. Oh, but a cool thing in our own solar system, when it does happen— that our sun ends up doing its thing and bloating out. You called it, what did you call it? The um, the biggest loser aspect? Of- <laughs> yeah, 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 a
1: spin-off <laughs> series of the biggest loser.
2: So when that happens, it's going to get hotter farther away from Earth. So Pluto might thaw down and be an interesting world to look at uh, at that stage. I ain't
0: moving to Pluto. Don't 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 try to get me to (laughs) move. That ain't happening. That ain't happening. I'm just saying. I'm just saying too. (laughs) All right. So what it means, Jackie, is that if we figure out how to, as a species, outlive the sun, we need to find another star system to travel to. And I would hope in five billion years we have enough space travel to enable that. Well, you know, we could
2: maybe stay in our own solar system, Neil, but we'd have to stay within because we've got a lot of interesting planetary bodies outside of the planets. There's the moons in the outer solar system that are intriguing.
0: Oh, so we'd planet hop our way away, away yeah. from the sun as the sun is dying.
2: We keep thinking about our own solar system before we decide, like, let's kick it from this side of the, you know, galaxy. Orion yeah. arm of the galaxy and yeah, head out. Okay.
0: All right. Just a suggestion. Got it. All right, keep it coming McGee.
1: <laughs> all right, from Ben Sellers, um, he writes: Neil and others have said the beautiful words that we are all made of stardust. By the way, Ben, if you really mean it, you should get the tattoo. Okay, he writes: <laughs> atoms forged within stars that later spread through the universe after star dies. But how do we know that the atoms in our bodies are from stars? Is there a solar barcode on my uh, nitrogen atoms? I a stellar like that. zip code for my oxygen? <laughs> Couldn't these elements have been
2: generated from in the Big Bang or during other processes.
0: Yeah. Jackie, what's up?
2: Yeah, I love this question. There is something that uh, is kind of new into pop culture, or even pop science culture, I would say. It's called the Astronomer's Periodic Table. Have you seen this, Neil? No, it's, I haven't. I haven't. It's really cool. So an astronomer named Jennifer Johnson at Ohio State was getting so frustrated with um, this concept that gets thrown around that all heavier elements formed through uh, supernovas so that you need supernovas that are to form anything that's heavier than hydrogen, I can say. So, um, you know, hydrogen, and helium, we think come from the big bang that, that, that one, I hope Ben wasn't necessarily disputing. It's the higher elements and you get some lithium from the big bang too, but it takes higher level explosions to get the rest of the stuff. And Jennifer Johnson was getting frustrated with it. So she created on a bar napkin one day, this, this diagram of the periodic table as shown through what processes developed those elements And then it got turned into a graphic that gets used now. So I suggest anyone look this up because it's an awesome, beautiful graphic. If you want to know where gold comes from, where astronomers think gold comes from, or silver, or copper, you have to look at this diagram and it'll show you what we think the physical process was that led to that element emerging onto your periodic table. So So, Jackie,
0: you're saying when I was in high school and my chemistry teacher said... Uh, here are all these elements on the periodic table, and I asked him where did they come from. He said, "Oh, we dig them out of the earth um, i was I, I was little I was unsatisfied with that answer. It would be yeah. a few more years when I'd learned that this stuff came from the universe. If we had that periodic table next to the regular one, I would have been totally satisfied from early on in life. That's what you're think telling
2: me. We should use this periodic table in those exact kind of classes because even in the, if I could get on a little soapbox about New York State's curriculum, because
0: oh, oh, here comes.
2: Well, <laughs> we have this amazing program at the American Museum of Natural History. It's a master's program that we teach teachers uh, how to teach science, and they come out and become earth science teachers. And one of the core elements in the New York State curriculum is uh, elements higher than iron on the periodic table come from supernova. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We know more now. We should be able to say like, there's neutron neutron star mergers. There's the death of low mass stars, which ends up producing quite a bit of the material that makes up all of us. Uh, and then there's cosmic ray fission that you can see. There's there's a couple of processes. And if you saw it on the periodic table, you might start to feel a little bit more connected to stellar processes, to stars, to the kinds of stars that are out there. So I suggest looking at the the astronomer's periodic table. By so, the so way, I love We're it.
0: all connected is what you're saying in more ways than previously known. That's I like that.
1: Yes. Yeah. I Thank love, by saying- the way, I was going to say that uh, I love that this scientist drew started drawing this periodic table on a bar napkin, which <laughs> indicates she got drunk and started making a new periodic table where most people <laughs> get drunk and just draw penises on a bar napkin. <laughs> no, so that that it's works? a little different. It's just a little different.
0: <laughs> yes, or some people drunk text people. And, and yeah. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're a quality scientist, you drunk and invent new ways of understanding the universe. She probably
1: <laughs> drunk, yeah, she drunk texts new. New elements is what she's doing.
2: I want to make sure that I qualify it too, though, because I may have inserted that anecdotal note. I'm not positive it was a bar. Uh, I don't no, know, sure no, no. Was it drinking. was a bar napkin. It was Just a bar napkin. Just leave it. It's good. It's Let that one
0: stick. <laughs> we got to take a quick break. When we come back, more Cosmic Queries with Jackie Faraday. We're talking about the birth, life, and death of Star.
1: I'm Joel Cherico, and I make pottery. You can see my pottery on my website, cosmicmugs.com. Cosmic Mugs, art that lets you taste the universe every day. And I support Star Talk on Patreon. This is Star Talk with Neil deGrasse Tyson.
0: back, Cosmic Queries. I'm with my co-host, Nagin Farsad. Nagin, always good to have you on Star Talk,
1: just, oh, I just love to say. Seeing that. I,
0: I want know. more of you on Star Talk, so we'll, oh. we got to work that out. And oh. uh, this is Cosmic Queries, always a popular variant on the Star Talk model. And uh, today the topic is the birth, life, and death of stars, and we've got my friend and colleague, Jackie Faraday from the American Museum of Natural History. It's what she does, it's what she breathes. She thinks about stars day and night, Jackie. All right, all right, let's do this. So Nagin, give me some more questions.
1: Okay, Woody asks, does a star becoming a black hole count as star death? Seems like more of an evolution, but if that's true and Jupiter is a failed star, does that make stars failed black holes? Ooh! I know. Snap! He got real hot there.
0: He got he got all yeah. philosophical on you, Jackie. Yeah, get, dig dig I, out I, of that I, one, Jackie. I, See
1: what you
2: do with that. I mean, there's a couple of triggers in there for me when it comes to words that run. Uh, because as 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 I'll start with the biggest one, which Neil knows that my my super expertise in astronomy is on these things called brown dwarfs. So we talked about white dwarfs. White dwarfs are stars that have evolved off from like our kind of our sun's mass. Brown dwarfs are objects that exist in between stars and planets. Now, what people like to call them because of various reasons, which I could get into, is failed stars because they don't have enough mass to get their core hot enough so that they can burn to have a nuclear engine like the sun does. So they call them failed stars. But does anybody want failure in the title of what they are? Let's just all say no, no, right? We don't. We don't.
1: Advocate for them. Thank you, Jackie.
0: Mm. You're
1: welcome. They have feelings too. Right.
0: Right.
2: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, there's more on this feeling thing. Uh, But... You know they're they are not failures in any way, shape, or form. I t- I sometimes call them overexcited planets because that you know the word planet everybody loves and so that's nice. But Jupiter is certainly not a failure at what it is, and I would not call it in any way a failed star. Number one, because that would also imply that it's a brown dwarf from some rules that people are putting in, and, and Jupiter's not big enough. You have to be. Around thirteen times the mass of the of of Jupiter before you can actually get some heavy hydrogen burning and start entering a category which we sometimes call the boundary of brown dwarfs. So Jupiter's totally good with where it is, and I'm sorry to pick on Ben. Was it Woody? I'm picking Woody. on Woody. Woody, Woody. I'm sorry, Woody. This feels like I'm picking on you, but sometimes it happens. And then as far as stars being failed black holes, well, I mean. Black holes aren't stars either. Black holes are the evolved take on stars. And some stars will become black holes if they have a high enough mass. But most stars are not massive enough to become that. You got to be a really massive star. And those are actually the rarest kinds of stars that we have. Um, High mass stars, the ones that are eight and more, 10, 15, 20 times the mass of our sun, those are the ones that start entering a territory where they may end up be having enough mass to go supernova and um, and then become a black hole, those stars now would become black holes. So it's a different category, not to pick on Woody too much, but let's not let's remove failure <laughs> from our thinking. Let's go positive. Well,
0: we could also by that Pos- token, Jackie, we could say that the sun is a failed Jupiter.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, if you wanted to reverse the negativity, we could. Yeah, let's
0: do that. Just to to balance it out over time. And then we can neutralize it in 10 years. How about that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If if Jupiter wanted to throw shade on the sun, it would call the sun a failure. Yeah, there you go. uh, Jackie is handing out participation trophies,
0: basically, to all
1: of the stars and planets. I think that's what's happening here.
0: And And to be explicit there, if Jupiter eclipses the sun for another civilization that's looking at... The discovery of planets, then Jupiter is literally throwing shade on the sun.
2: <laughs> that's, that's good. That's
1: pretty good, Neil. Yeah. yeah good. Well done. Well done. <laughs>
0: All yeah. right. So, Begin, yeah. keep going.
1: Okay. Jesse De La Rosa asks Once a star has entered its death sequence, how long do they take? Also, have there been any stars that have come back
2: into life or have come Ooh. back to life? Ooh. I like that.
0: I like that.
2: Zombies. Zombie stars. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing. I, Neil, you might remember we were at a science coffee recently, and we were talking about zombies. But tell people
0: what science yeah, coffee there's... is, just so it's not like we're studying oh, coffee. Oh, yes. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> so once a week in our Department of Astrophysics at, at am and we all get together, and we review the papers that have come out over the week. So every every day, um, astronomers are posting their peer-reviewed, here it is, this is what my result is it's gone through a process where other experts in the field have put their check mark on it. I'm putting it out in the literature for everybody to reference, to read, to think about, to comment on, to contradict. And so that happens every day. You probably get somewhere between 30 and 70 papers that'll come out. I would say 70 is a big day, but sometimes that does happen. Uh, And so at the end of the week, hopefully all of us have at least looked at some of them and um we get together and we start discussing like okay so who says what and what do we think and so that happens on fridays and we used to do it all in person where we would have coffee and cookies and it's nice it's jovial um but we don't we do it on zoom now so we should call it something else i don't know what but
0: bc before covid yeah it was done in
2: the before covid times Mm -hmm. yeah uh but Right, so the, the question is about, I've, alre- I've already forgotten what it was. It was <laughs> sorry, I distracted
0: you, sorry. <laughs> sorry.
2: Yeah. How long does the death sequence take, and
1: do they ever come back to life? Mm-hmm.
2: Right, okay, so the death sequence, and um, this, I think this is an interesting thing to think about. It really depends on your mass, how massive you are. So for low mass stars versus the highest mass stars, it's gonna be totally different values that I could give you. For the lowest mass stars that exist, which by the way, they are the most populous stars in the galaxy. They're everywhere. And if you wanna know how good star formation is at making a kind of star, it's really good at the lowest mass stars. But those, the lifetimes of the lowest mass kinds of stars they actually live for longer than the age of the of the universe right now. They can live for a hundred billion years, which means that every low mass star that was ever born is still around. It hasn't started its death cycle yet. I like that phrasing. Um, high mass stars, on the other end of it, they 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 live wild and they die real fast. So they go very quickly through all of their fuel. There's a good analogy here somewhere of the kinds of people that might be low mass stars versus (laughs) high mass stars, (laughs) but I don't have it. (laughs) The highest mass stars are, um, they they will go, they only live for a hundred million years. The lowest mass things, like I said, they'll go for a hundred billion years. Can you believe this? This is insane. So they're everywhere and they're beacons of the history of the galaxy. Um, and now once they do start going through the phase, like our sun, for instance, is about four and a half billion years old as by our metrics of measuring it. And we think it's got enough hydrogen, enough fuel to go for another four and a half billion years or so before it it's out and it's a red giant and it blows off its outer layers, and then the whole chaos ensues in the solar system. But there'll be a lot happening in, say, a billion years. It's going to get super hot in our area of the solar system because uh, the, ha- the, the sun is losing a bit of mass. It's got a nice solar wind. It's losing a bit of mass. Temperature is getting a little bit hotter. Uh, and so because of that, the um, Conditions will change in the solar system. It's not necessarily the death cycle, but you could say it's it's the aging process. It's the aging process for stars.
0: All right. so so how, how much of a star's life does it spend dying? Well, maybe that, what fraction of its life? So you, if I live a hundred billion years, now I'm ready to die, how quickly do I die?
2: So in in astronomy, we define your like you're solid, you're a star, you're not dying as the time that you spend um what we call the main sequence the main sequence the time when you're stably burning hydrogen and you've got a core that's nicely balanced where the pressure that's coming from the core is balanced by gravity trying to contract you so that's that's a stable Situation, and that's what we technically call the so main you're season.
0: referring to astrophysically stable as distinct from emotionally stable because that would be a different issue, Oh
2: yeah. Right? <laughs> the emotionally stable star, you could probably make a really good comic out of like the stability strip for stars. There is an instability strip, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: There, I'm not making this up, stars live on their main sequence, and when they start to go off, they go on an instability strip where they they're wobbling around. They're unstable because gravity and the pressure coming from their cores is trying to find a new balance. And because and they so need did... more
1: sleep.
0: You know? <laughs> they, need...
2: they need to be hydrated. There you go. It feels like they need to meet some of their basic self-care needs.
0: There it is. There yes. It
2: is. All of that. <laughs> and so <laughs> the, I, I would agree. I'm in a complete agreement with this. Even though I said I don't think we should have more uh, give emotions to these, but it's it sometimes it helps. They need They need loving environments. They need to be in an area where they feel good. You don't want to be in a highly irradiated area. That's not good for you. That's very Or in a place
0: where there are too many other objects that could do a gravitational uh, slingshot around you and mess with your orbital stability. That's bad, too.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Do you want to live... So some of this could be, um, like, urban life. If you want to (laughs) live at the center of the galaxy... That is not a solid, healthy base for most stars. <laughs> Let's just all be honest. There's okay. too much radiation. As someone, who, as someone radiation. who lives in
1: Manhattan, I take issue with that characterization. <laughs>
0: I hear you. It just means right. you're irradiated. Yes. Uh, Jean, that's
2: all that means. So, so wait. The so most tell me about way. zombies
0: now. Tell me about zombies. So that was the other half of the question. Oh
2: right. Yeah. So can a star come back to life after it's already passed through? A, um, it's evolved state. And so the answer to that is yes, sort of. So it depends on what you mean by like what stage it might be in. And the thing that we were talking about at Science Coffee was these zombie neutron stars. So these evolved versions of stars. So they've already passed through. Like, can you become a star again? That question, I don't have an answer to. I don't think that that's an easy thing to come back from. You can get stripped down. So imagine yourself as a star and I'm going to give you a companion that's going to be really close to you. And that companion is just going to start yanking on all of your material so that you're in a companion scenario where one object is pulling material from the other, getting bigger. One's getting bigger, the other's getting skinnier. And so the bigger star or the star that's pulling material from you will eat you and become a really interesting kind of object, which we think leads to, eventually it might lead to a supernova explosion. Um, but then that other object, maybe you strip it down to where it goes from being a star to being a brown dwarf, where all of a sudden the core of it can't process material the same way. It can't get hot enough to burn like a star. So you shut it off. It becomes,
0: it, You just shut yeah. off its process. All right, all right.
2: And then you can keep going and strip it down to it's basically a planet, to it's like Jupiter, and it's it could even go down all the way to some rocky semblance of an object. So there is that that can happen. Uh, and then it's possible that a companion or material that gets dumped onto you can trigger you to have a new sort of sense of an object. So neutron stars might have this with a companion that triggers them back into life, where they start pulsating or they get a bunch of material that ends up looking like they've come back to life. They get um, they, they become bright once again. Uh, companions can do that for you. There, No object is going to naturally come back into some sort of stellar state, though. It needs to have some sort of outside material or outside mechanism that ends up. So to be
0: a zombie, you need to have a friend. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Neil. Just to help you
0: out of the grave. I, I,
1: this I, does not I, track with the way so The friendly. Walking Dead works, by the way. I think
0: it's an, epi- it's a way to, an unwritten episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Though, it's like a nice capsule episode. <laughs> I like that. Let's let's send that idea to them, Neil.
0: All right, we got to take another break. When we come back, the third and final segment of Cosmic Queries, The Birth, Life, and Death of Star. Hey, it's time for a Patreon shout out to the following Patreon patrons. The Warzone 12, one by 4 by is the name that's given. And Michael Borger. Guys, thank you so much for your support and for your very amusing names. And anybody else who would like their very own Patreon shout out, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. We're back. Star Talk: Cosmic Queries, the birth, life, and death of stars. My co-host, Nagin Farsad. Nagin, love having you as as my as my co-host. And uh, what is your Twitter handle for everybody to know?
1: Oh, it's at Nagin Farsad. Uh, N-E-G-I-N-F-A-R-S-A-D.
0: Okay. That's... Uh... That's that's your name, right? <laughs> that's it.
1: <laughs> it would have been easier if I just said it's my name. Yeah, that's right.
0: Okay, that's that. You got that one done and all, done and done. And Jackie, you're also uh, active on social media. So how should people find you?
2: I'm on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram, and my Twitter's is at jfarity That one's easy. I feel yeah, like. yeah. F a h e r
0: t y. Yeah, should be easy. Mm-hmm.
2: And then at Instagram, it's at jfarity seventeen.
0: Ooh, there were sixteen other Jay Faradays.
2: I don't know if there was. I just like the number seventeen. So as soon as one is taken, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I auto- automatically just jump to seventeen. Oh, I got so. you. All right,
0: very, very cool. All <laughs> right, so we have questions. This is our third and final segment. And Nagin, uh, let's see how many we can squeeze in. Go for okay. it.
2: Okay.
1: At par- uh, Parker Graham asks, when a star begins to die and starts its expanding phase, can that phase be long enough for it to be possible? for far-orbiting planets to become inhabitable and even possibly create new life.
0: Mm. Yeah. So I guess, Jackie, it's not, does it reach the right temperature, but will that last long enough for bi- biological evolution to do its thing,
2: which we right. know takes time? Yeah. So I think that there's there's two points to this. Number one is that during the the death cycle of stars, I'll just start calling it that, What happens is the habitable zone around the star does start moving. This is part of why we're going to have such a problem around the sun in about a billion years, because by that time, the habitable zone where liquid water doesn't have a a, liquid water is the definition of the habitable zone where it can bubble on the surface. And so unless you're in that habitable zone, water is going to be an issue. So for these giant stars... Liquid
0: water. Liquid water is going to be an issue. Liquid water is going to be
2: an issue. On the surface, Mm -hmm. I should say, too. That's Mm -hmm. very important because you can have water deep down under a crust of ice or something. You You can have water. But liquid water bubbling on the surface is one of our metrics for defining, like, that might be a good place to look for for life. So the habitable zone... That area moves around a lot as that star is moving through the phase. And so how long you need for biological life to show up, it has to get there somehow if your world already has an ocean. So let's say in our own solar system, as an example, when our sun starts to bloat out and some of the outer objects in our solar system, there's awesome moons like Enceladus and Europa and um even pluto i know neil doesn't love pluto <laughs> d- discussions at some level when it's talking about it as a planet but that's why i like to call things worlds and um, the habitable zone will start stretching away from our sun and they are already created objects which may already have a lot of the ingredients that you need for organic life and so i would i would not count it out as impossible but you do need some of the ingredients there already. So the prescription is have something there, be ready, and maybe the habitable zone will show up at your door uh, and you'll melt down and life could emerge
0: mm. Mm. fluently. All right. Yeah. I like it. All right. Keep it coming. Nagin.
1: Okay. Uh, Jared Sims says, uh, hello, Dr. Tyson, Dr. Faraday, and of course, the hilarious Nagin. I included that, part <laughs> as a compliment to me in there. Um, <laughs> Jared asks, what Jared's happen- favorite
0: comedian ever in the whole universe. Yes. Okay. That's, right, that's- right, that
1: was in, in parentheses. <laughs> um, what would happen if you could split a star right in half? Would it come back together from gravity and other binding forces? Or is there a sufficient distance where they would be two separate pieces Pieces? Lifespan? Question mark.
0: Wow, this sounds like a science fiction something that the Death Star weapon from Star Wars might want to try to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm done, we're done killing planets now. Let's cut a star in half. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. I will say a lot of these questions are are a little dark and a little dangerous. Like I don't know what the <laughs> what people were thinking when they were submitting them, but there's definitely a little bit of darkness here. Uh, could you split it? Like take a knife, like some knife and split it down the middle. Um, yeah, just a
0: laser, just a laser. Cut the thing in half, right. and then what happens next?
2: My immediate reaction to that is absolutely not, but um, that's in part because you'd have to be so, sw- this is so science fiction, because you'd have to be so swift at, in order to figure out how to get certain physical properties to not immediately react so that you could get a scissor through it I mean, a a better answer maybe is to a question that this person isn't asking, but I want to answer, and I think it does help here, is um, when you hit one star with another star, what happens? Because that starts with two halves and Number one, how often does it happen? And that answer is the stars don't collide very often, but it can happen. They swirl around each other because gravity is something that's not that interested in seeing the two objects smash into each other. They have to overcome that. Then when they do, they can coalesce into a new thing to To get two halves uh, is very science fiction in my, in my quick reaction to But that. I'm
0: imagining, but let's, But if, if it is science fiction and you have these big old hands, let's say it grabs two sides of the star and pulls it apart. There's a distance you could pull them apart where I think it, they would just coalesce into two separate stars, each with half the mass that they're... Previous one had, right? So,
2: But I think you end up with a contact binary scenario. Yes, you could. Because we do have contact binaries where two stars end up sharing the same amount of material that's orbiting between them. They're very dangerous. And ultimately, when you have two stars that are coalescing, they do go through a period where they're kind of evolving as two separate cores into a solid core. So I'm just thinking how you reverse that process. You'd have to pull those two stars so yeah, the answer to that one is yes. There is a distance, which if you could rapidly separate them and pull them apart, where you're good and you will have two smaller objects, that is that is possible.
0: So if we were infinitely powerful or we were the programmers of this simulation in which we all live and there's one star that has just way too much mass and there's some needy planets out there, you could have the power to just pluck off uh, material and just put it where you want it and scatter the stars so, so one star can become ten.
2: Well, there is there's definitely enough mass in some stars to pluck out hundreds of stars, where there's still stars, there's still stable sta- objects. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, and so that is possible, but you'd have to redistribute the material. Uh, I'm thinking of it like as a Play-Doh like you'd have to make sure that the outer core and the inner core because there's the, the Plus stars- it's very
0: socialist and we, we can't have that None of the mur- murder <laughs> no. <laughs> You have so too so much stars. mass
1: <laughs> But I love the idea that Jared sees the stars kind of like our Senate uh, just split in half down the middle <laughs> Right <laughs> and, But I just want to say Jared the stars are not that partisan and if they are <laughs> Kamala Harris will come in and be the tie-breaking she <laughs> will tie-break but,
0: that out yeah. <laughs> That's right um,
1: Another question Question? All
0: right. Yeah, let's do it.
1: Robert Weaver, another dark one. Okay, Robert Weaver. Weaver asks, "What would happen if
2: the nearest star to us blew up?" Oh, I like mm. this question. Um, so, I'm not sure which star they mean because sometimes they might mean our sun. Do they mean our sun? This is that's that that would be an a, a end game scenario for us here on Earth. Clearly. Uh, because that's our that's our life force. So if the closest star to us, which is the sun, blows up, um, blows up, we're we're goners. Ball
0: game over. Okay. Ball
2: game mm-hmm. over. One hundred. Nice. Yeah. Uh, the next closest one to us. This is always a fun pop quiz. Um, is a triple system. Actually, there's three stars in that system. None of them are actually going to go supernova. If any of them did, we'd still be in severe danger because it's actually not that far away from us. The closest star to us is our Oort cloud, the like surrounding area of our solar system stretches a third of the way out to that system. So we're already pretty close to it when it comes to like our extended family of the solar system. So... Uh, the nearby vicinity, what I call the spitting distance area around our solar neighborhood, like and the then, suburbs of our solar <laughs> neighborhood. <laughs> the suburbs. Well, we're in the <laughs> suburbs of the galaxy. That's true. Um, I got you. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely in the suburbs of the galaxy. But if any of the like 100, parsec, three hundred light years stars go supernova, it's it's going to be a and once they get far enough away. It's not that bad. I don't know the exact distance where we start to say like we've got a severe problem here, uh, but it'd certainly be something that we could observe in a major way.
0: And it would, and uh, I guess if it's if it's the Alpha Centauri system, it, it would be visible in broad daylight, right? Oh, I mean,
2: yeah, the,
0: yeah, yeah. It would be like, and and fortunately, we know what that would be if it happened. Uh, and we don't have to worry about whether the, the kings will die or <laughs> whether <laughs> there there's be a change. In the-,
2: <laughs> the kings? Who are the kings
0: I, That's what I'm saying. They're not anymore, you know. But in, no. the, in the day, the change of emperors, you know, a new star in the sky. That something different is going to happen. Yeah.
2: Right. No, none of that is an issue. I think. But well, like, is it,
1: is something pelting us in the face? Like, if one of those stars, like it, or it's just.
2: It's dark, or what? <laughs> like I don't know. Well, when when the supernova when a supernova occurs, it um, blows off highly energy highly energetic particles in um, in multiple directions. And if we so um, a supernova that went off nearby, have um, one that I could use as a great example is one that happened in the year 1987. I think we were all alive. Yes,
0: it's the one that we yes. saw happen in 1987. Yes.
2: Right, we saw it, it happen it in actually
0: happened half a million years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Right.
2: Exactly. It's it's a faraway object, and in 1987, I think it um, there was an operator at Las Campanas Observatory, which was one of the first to see it, I believe. Uh, but it was a noticed thing. It was like, oh, this thing got bright, and then the um, they detected they actually detected the Earth got hit by a couple of highly energetic particles called these neutrinos hit the earth and were detected. And we collected like, I don't know, it was like 15 of them. But we did get hit with them. But that thing is... is, So far. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you do not want to get slammed by the radiation that comes from a supernova. So as much distance as you can put between yourself and that, if you're a habitable world, then keep that distance. If you're something else, though, there are things that probably want the supernova to go off because a supernova, when it goes off, it's actually enriching the area around it. It's dumping all this material, right, that comes from that massive star that was churning away at all of this nice higher mass elements, and it dumps them out into the area, enriching, giving feedback to the galaxy. And so next generations of stars really benefit from supernovas going off. But so, so they're, like are f-
0: they're our they're frenemy. They can frenemy. kill us, but really we, we like them at some at some well, point. Well we don't I
2: think we don't know if a supernova went off that triggered our own solar system being formed. Well, our sun being formed with led to our solar system being formed. Uh but mm-hmm. star you know, supernovas going off will trigger star formation in the galaxy. So it is a good thing. But once you're alive, you want to stay away from them.
0: You sound like uh, we have the option to run away. (laughs) Keep your distance.
2: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I think if you're going to find a new star to live around, you know, look around. Make sure you don't have any super giants around that look like they're going to be going supernova anytime soon. So that should go into your, like, you know... When you go on Zillow and you It's the real
0: estate pick, map, yeah. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. yeah like yeah, don't right.
2: pick an area with a super like a giant. If you see a star that's got a really low real estate and you're like, but Get that's such an there. amazing star, like look a little closer. I bet it's got a super giant around it. But there's a <laughs> beetle like, juice like right next to it. And, it's on. like
1: buying a house next to a frat like buying a house next to a frat house or something. You don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. So, Nagin, we have time for, like, if if Jackie is good at this, we're going to send three lightning round questions to her. Let's try it. Okay, go. Okay,
1: here we go. John David Newman asks, on average, are the stars we observe furthest away from us older, bigger, and shorter-lived than the stars that we see closer
2: to us? And what's the shortest and longest-living star we've found?
0: Go. Gosh,
2: that's so much. Um, So, the the closest stars to us uh, should not be a unique sampling in the galaxy because they we should not be in a unique place in the galaxy. We have both young stars that are nearby and old stars that are nearby. Um, So we do get both. The youngest stars that are near us are on the order of, um, depends on what you mean by near, but like, let's go to 300 light years away. Then you start getting things that are like 2 million years old or 3 million years old. But we've also got stars sweeping in that are like 10 billion years old that are near us. And so that's all what I would call spitting distance away at like, let's just say 100 light years or so away from the sun.
0: Go, next one, Nagin.
2: James uh, Sr. asks, what
1: starts the gravitational pull that brings the elements together to form a star? I'm guessing that in a nebula, there is an abundance of the correct ingredients to form a star, but how did stars form before there were any nebulas?
2: Yeah, first stars are the best stars in some ways. And that was a bunch of hydrogen coming together, pull the hydrogen together because gravity... Is your friend and gravity pulled the hydrogen together. And the first stars were mostly hydrogen, they were unstable and they blew up big time.
0: Wait, but you speak, you're speaking like gravity is something separate from the hydrogen. The hydrogen atoms yeah. have gravity,
2: yes, right, and you get and enough the- of them. Together.
0: They'll have a collective gravity, so it's the mutual gravitational attraction. Not like gravity is just something hanging around. Well, oh, it might be. How about dark matter? Isn't dark matter gravity?
2: Yes, sitting and there, I, minding its own business. I think we should be honest too, Neil. We're gravity is very confusing. Gravity is not exactly the easiest thing <laughs> for us as scientists <laughs> oh. to understand. Sense. So many mixed signals.
1: I know, it so
0: does. Mixed signals. <laughs> well,
2: what transports it? What's its what's its particle? Like, how does gravity work? This that's is. That's why, that,
0: Nikki, that's why we go to the bar. It's to cry right. over our
2: drinks. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, you get some good conversations about it, gravity.
1: It bought me bar. a drink, but then it didn't really <laughs> want to talk to me. What?
0: <laughs> so we've got to end it there. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Jackie, thanks for coming back on Star Talk. Yeah. Uh, it's always good to see you. I, I mean, I see you in the offices and during uh, Science Coffee, and it's great to have you part of this Star Talk uh, enterprise. And and Nagin, always good to have you.
1: Learned so much. Thank you. All right.
0: So this has been Star Talk Cosmic Queries. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. As always, bidding you to keep looking up.